www.spiritualwriter.co.uk network radio. This week's guest is spiritual writer and lecturer Mark Bennett. Mark is the co-author of two books, Prayer Energy and God's Guides and Guardian Angels, which he wrote alongside international best-selling author Richard Lawrence. He works full-time for the Ethereum Society, an international spiritual organisation founded by ET contactee Dr. George King, where he is helping spread the Society's spiritual teachings channeled through Dr. King from positive and advanced extraterrestrial beings. Welcome to the show, Mark. Hi, Ian. Great to be here. Thank you for coming on. Um, just to fill in our listeners, um, basically each week we, uh, we touch on different topics of ufology, spiritualism, um, and how it all ties into the greater picture with awakening and stuff like that. Um, and basically, someone actually gave me your link to your website. Uh, and I believe it, I, I look at synchronicity, and synchronicity happened last time as well with our last guest. And I actually see your event posted onto the website, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. Um, but then I'd, I got so uh, busy, I kind of just forgot all about it anyway. And then um, Terry, who works with the web- website as well, she sent me an email saying, oh, this looks up your street, it looks really interesting. There's right. an event in London um, all about UFOs, talking about you know UFOs are here to stay. So I looked at it and thought, oh, that's the same event that's on our site. So I emailed her and said, did you pick it up off the website? And she said, no, no, someone sent me a newsletter. So it's kind of like two confirmations oh. Oh, uh, right. came into my inbox. And, I, and then I kind of looked into what you do a bit further and thought, wow, actually, I do need to speak to you on this subject. Cause it's kind of exploring most of the things we've, we've discussed already. But you're going that one step further in the work that you do. And you're, you've got the link there between the, the UFO phenomena and the awakening and spirituality. Absolutely, yes. It's quite unusual, I think. Um, but um, I think people are slowly, um, as you might say, awakening to the truth that to understand UFOs, you have to look at certain spiritual questions. So basically, I mean, before we get into that, how did you get into this subject? What brought you onto this? Well, I was very interested in uh, religion and strange phenomena, um, even as a, a small child. And I, I always believed in God. I didn't know what God was, and uh, I still don't, really, in many ways, um, though hopefully I have a slightly clearer idea. Um, I was very open-minded, and one day, um, just one ordinary evening, uh, I was 14, and I was sitting at home with my family, and my mother said, oh, there's a program on about Venus, a Horizon documentary. Why don't we all watch that? And I thought, well, this is a bit odd, you know. My mum's not interested in science particularly, and I I wasn't all that interested, but there was nothing else on. So I thought, well, why not? And um, sure enough, you had the usual scientific stuff on, which was quite interesting. But then, suddenly, like a a flash of light in the darkness, uh, on came uh, a representative of the Ethereum Society, uh, which I now work for full-time. And... He started talking about all these very weird-sounding things. Well, it sounded weird to me at that time, about life on Venus. He said that Jesus was from Venus, um, that that we could cooperate with extraterrestrials. And they actually showed uh, one of the activities that we do, um, which uh, is cooperating with extraterrestrials. And it it seemed so far out 
and yet something within me just sort of it just sort of clicked and I just thought there's something about this that I can't let go and over a period of several years I gradually read more and more about the organization about its founder Dr. George King who I think is one of the most amazing contactees ever uh, and there were many things that didn't quite gel with me at first to be honest many things I didn't understand um, things I found very hard to accept and it was only by living the teachings which I believe were given through him from extraterrestrial beings that I have come to a point now where I, I believe these things very deeply very strongly indeed yeah I mean I must admit I mean what you just said there about Venus um, I think a lot of people think how can that be but when we're talking about Venus we're talking about um, a different vibration absolutely yes I think this is the key point uh, I remember on this documentary actually as the uh, representative of the Ethereum Society was talking about life on Venus they kept cutting to uh, presumably scientific mock-ups of what they think Venus actually looks like on this realm. And the impression, of course, given to the viewer was, well, how can there be any life there? There was sort of, you know, I don't know what, dense clouds and lava and that kind of thing. And you think, well, what kind of life could live there? And on the one hand, I don't think we should dismiss the idea that there might be some kind of very unusual life form, unusual to us, which could survive even in those physical conditions. But the, when I say that we believe that Jesus was from Venus, just, just as you say, it, it's not this realm of Venus. So if we were to fly in a spacecraft, an ordinary Earth space, spacecraft, to Venus tomorrow, we wouldn't find any sign of civilized life, or we're unlikely to, I would say, unless the beings there chose to reveal themselves to us for some reason because their civilization exists on a higher plane of existence. When I say that we believe that Jesus was from Venus, I don't mean that um, Jesus the man, for want of a, a better term, as, we, as, as people knew him on Earth, just landed in a spacecraft one day, but that he as a great cosmic master chose for part of his consciousness to be born into an earth body uh, in order to perform certain certain roles to help us at that time so basically i mean how how do you see things now with people do you do you see like an influx of souls coming in from other uh, cosmic places like other planets on different vibrations coming into earth right now do you think there's an influx of souls coming what, be, in? Being born onto this realm, you mean? Yeah, from other vibrations. I, I, I would doubt it. Um, I don't know. Um, but, no, I think it's quite... Um, from the communications that we were given in Dr. King's lifetime, he passed away in 1997, um, I, I would think that that was improbable. Uh, when an extraterrestrial is born onto this Earth, it is, um, it's a big deal, um, to put it simply. Um, and they come here in order to help us. They don't come here to gain experience themselves. They will gain experience because they're, you know, they're going through certain experiences. 
that they don't need to have that experience. Their choice to be here is pure sacrifice. So we believe that the great avatars of history, um, such as Jesus, Sri Krishna, Confucius, Lao Tzu, Buddha, are interplanetary intelligences um, who chose to have a small part of their consciousness born onto this planet, onto this realm, to live a life, to perform a certain function to help us. I don't think that we are sort of being inundated with uh, people from all over the galaxy being born onto this earth. It may be that there are extraterrestrial intelligences that would find it very interesting to have a life on this earth, um, who are of a lower caliber than the avatars I, I, I'm talking about. Um, and I couldn't rule anything out because I'm not in contact with extraterrestrials. I don't know what developments there have been since 1997. Um, but basically, this planet is a classroom of experience for Earth people um, and you know, other life forms as well, animals and plants, but for terrestrial life. And occasionally we are blessed by the presence of an extraterrestrial avatar to help us. But I think that in terms of uh, entering the, the, the life cycle of this Earth, I think that's about as far as it probably goes. There may be many uh, different civilizations from all over the cosmos coming and observing us uh, from spacecraft, hence the uh, huge number of UFO sightings that there are. Um, but I don't think that they're allowed to come too close as a general rule because we are, not to put too fine a point on it, we are a very primitive planet. And we have certain lessons we need to learn as earthbound terrestrial beings before we can enjoy interplanetary freedom. Do you feel that um, you know contact with these beings on the, like uh, an expo politics kind of level is imminent? It depends what you mean by imminent, really. Um, <laughs> I don't know uh, is the bottom line. I don't. Yeah. I certainly couldn't give you a date. We we believe, as I say, that you know we are visited by avatars throughout history, but they have not come as extraterrestrials per se because they've been born as one of us, with our limitations. Their consciousness is extraterrestrial, but they're born as if they were ordinary terrestrial Earth people and it's their, their true colors are shown as they develop uh, and evolve in their lifetime on Earth. Okay, yeah. Um, the only reason I brought that up is because I was reading a quote that, that um, George had got, doc, sorry, Dr. King, it's George King, isn't it? Yeah. Um, he, had a, he heard a loud physical, physical voice that said, prepare yourself, you are to become the voice of interplanetary parliament. That's so, correct. So what, what, is that, what does that ah, actually mean? I see what you mean. Um, well, that was how the Ethereum Society all began uh, back in 1954, one sunny Saturday morning while Dr. King was uh, drying dishes in his small apartment in Maidavale in London. He was um, a very unusual man even at that time because he practiced yoga for an average of about eight hours a day and had been doing so for about 10 years as well as doing a job. 
he was determined, even at that time, when yoga was even less understood than it is today, uh, to attain the higher states, to master uh, his own latent psychic powers. But he wasn't expecting that. Uh, and if you read the account, uh, as he brilliantly describes it in a book called You Are Responsible, which is available from the Ethereum Society, um, you'll see that he really didn't know what to do afterwards. Uh, it took some time for it all to sink in, and uh, he also received the help of um, a yogi adept who visited him and gave him some guidance on the matter. Um, what this meant was that he was the primary, not only, but the primary uh, channel. By channel, uh, we mean mediumistic channel. He did have some contacts. There were uh, physical, as it were, face-to-face -face contacts or uh, when he projected from the body and met these beings. But by and large, the communications that uh, we've been given were given through him while he was either in a state of deep samadhic trance. Samadhi is a high meditative state attained through yoga. Um, or else th the communications were received through um, more ordinary, not that it is particularly ordinary, but more ordinary than that, a form of uh, you know, telepathy, um, just thought transference. Yeah, because um, I, I was reading the account as well, but he had uh, an Indian uh, yoga master actually manifest in his room and then disappeared yeah, back been, through. <laughs> you've been doing your homework, haven't you? I have, yeah. <laughs> well, it's very nice to have an interviewer who has done so much research. Yes, uh, he, he, he was wondering what to do, and uh, after about a week, I think it was, he began to meditate on the problem. Um, as you would expect a yogi to do, because yoga, by the way, is, is of course not, as I'm sure your listeners are aware, is not just about physical exercises, though there are some great physical exercises you can learn from yoga. Um, it, it's about, yoga is about attaining enlightenment, about attaining wisdom, about control over mind and body and also psychic ability so that you can rise into the true spiritual heights that are our birthright. So as he, as he was there beginning to meditate um, on the problem, this uh, yogi, who he recognized, but he's never revealed his identity, uh, this yogi walked through his closed door without damaging the door, uh, so we're told, and um, sat down in the chair in his room, and interestingly, the chair creaked, the floorboards and the chair creaked when this yogi was moving. So he was obviously physical. It wasn't like some kind of a hologram or specter. He, he was able to physically walk through another physical substance while still being in the physical body himself, which is a remarkable feat and shows you the caliber of the visitor. Um, and he... Uh, told Dr. King, amongst other things, that it wasn't for him to decide whether or not he was worthy. Um, because clearly being told that you're to become the, the voice of interplanetary parliament is a huge task. 
And anyone, uh, even a great yogi, would think, my goodness, am I up to this? Mm. But it also could also massage the ego as well, couldn't it? Well, indeed. And this is one of the reasons why someone like Dr. King was chosen, because another facet of yoga is control over the ego. It's, uh, it's knowing that I am God as a statement. Uh, it's actually, um, you'll find in the Bible, uh, a name of God is I am that I am, hmm. which is very similar to certain mantras. Uh, and this is a truth that we are all God, and it's an affirmation you can do, I am God. Now, this sounds like a great statement of tremendous ego, but actually it's the exact opposite. Because when you are affirming that you are God, you are denying or transmuting, would be a better word, all of the nonsensical ignorance that we normally allow into our consciousness. And Dr. King came up with a, a great aphorism, actually, which is, um, I am naught, said a man, naught but me, answered God. What that means is that if you first of all have the gentle, balanced, spiritual affirmation that you are nothing, then you hear the voice of God, so to speak whether that manifests through the intuition or through an inner knowing. Now, this might go fly in the face of certain uh, new age, so-called new age thinking. They would say, well, that's dreadful to think that I am nothing. And in a way, it could be, if it's done in the wrong way, if it's done as a kind of self-indulgent negativity, oh, I'm nothing, or false humility. But if it's a genuine, heartfelt realization that, the world around us is all essentially illusion. And therefore, that, that part of us, which is also part of the world around us, is therefore illusion too. The only thing that is real, that is unchangeable and everlasting, is the divine spirit within us, which is the essence of all things. Yeah, it's interesting, the, the parallels of what you're talking about, um, I don't know if you've come across the, the law of one, um, I haven't. It's a, it's a collection of books that were the channel, um, I think back in the 80s, and they talk about the law of one, meaning that there is only one. Um, and, well, they, and they basically say that if you want to see the creator, then just look in the mirror. You know, and stuff, <laughs> you know, and stuff like that. Well, again, um, you see, there's great truth in that. But misused or misunderstood, that could be very, very dangerous. You see what I mean? Because, I mean, when you look in the mirror what you're actually seeing is just an ordinary person. Well, when I look in the mirror, that's what I'm seeing. Um, but beneath what you see in the mirror, yes, that then there you have the divine spark. What you see in the mirror is some kind of a, a very, very limited manifestation of that divine spark, but is a long, long way from being the full magic and mystery that is God. Indeed, indeed. So, I mean, just to sort of change track a little bit here as well, mm. um, I was sort of reading, you know, some of the stuff that's on your, on your website, um, and it, I think this was on the Aetherius uh, website, actually, and it talks about advanced beings from other worlds in this solar system and beyond mm. are currently helping our world to advance spiritually at the moment. 
so have they always been here helping us, or are we a, a pivotal time where they we need they we need their help more than any other time in history? Well, I, th- I think the answer to both your questions is yes. Um, they have always been here. Yes, um, they have kept a watchful eye on us for millennia, uh, and you will find um, what I believe to be sightings of extraterrestrial craft in various ancient texts, including the Bible uh, and the. Um, ancient Indian texts also. Yes, that's right. I mean, you've just got to look in. There's, there's, I think there's pictures in the pyramids or glyphs or, you know, in, in the pyramids that show rockets or they show aircraft or... Really? Stuff well, like that, you know. I then... think, I mean, it's, it's all very interesting, but we do at the same time have to be careful because, for example, ancient Egyptian art is very symbolic. They had a very different concept of pictorial representation to what we do. Uh, And what might look like a rocket to us may be a rocket, or it may be something that, you know, entirely different. So uh, I think it's interesting, but we have to to sort of keep our feet on the ground a bit too, uh, on the one hand. On the other hand, you get, you're skeptical, say, well, it doesn't say there's a spacecraft in the Bible. It says there's a cloud, for example. Yes, and, we get wheels you, within wheels and chariots of fire. There, there are so many. I, I don't have the quotes to hand, but I'll take your word for it. And they seem like rather primitive descriptions of what is potentially an extraterrestrial spacecraft. But then you look at what we call them, and we call them flying saucers or cigar-shaped objects, as if we are a race that is obsessed with drinking tea and smoking. <laughs> you know, com- compared to that, I think to say that they're a, a kind of a cloud or flying scroll is actually more advanced. Yeah, I guess that's the thing, isn't it? We, you know, 100 years or 1,000 years from now, um, you know, someone could pick up a meaningless child's toy and think that was symbolic or, you know, of something Absolutely. really important. Yeah. yeah, they but, could find, I mean, they could find a, you know, find a model, you know, UFO and think, oh, that meant that these people had UFOs flying around, around. you know, other, an ordinary daily basis and were interacting with aliens as if it was the most normal thing in the world. You could easily, just by looking at one little thing in the past, get a, get a, a wrong idea. Yeah. But at, at the same time, you can also be over-skeptical, I think, and underestimate the, the possibility that, you know, just because... We might, you know, not, um, you know, in our ordinary lives have contact with extraterrestrial beings doesn't mean to say that they weren't perhaps, I don't know this is so, but perhaps more openly among us at some time in our past. Mm. I'd just like to get your thoughts on something because obviously you're going to do a presentation in London um, in January. Yes, January the 8th um, at the uh, Bloomsbury Baptist Church in Hoburn at 7 p.m. And we'll, we'll put a link on, on the uh, show anyway to that as well. Great. Um, I'd just like to say, one person did ask me, you know, is this a Baptist event? And I can assure you that this is not a Baptist event. I think it'll be a, a very long time before the Orthodox Christian world are putting on lectures about UFOs. Uh, this just happens to be at a Baptist church, which thankfully is open-minded enough to allow speakers wow. uh, such as me to to speak there. But that does not mean that it is a, no. it, that it's a Baptist event. <laughs> I must admit, when I've when I've tried to hire um, a hall 
um, of you know of an, an orthodox religious church or something like that they've always turned us down because really? it's not in keeping with their own well, beliefs can, and stuff you know I mean obviously I disagree with them but I can see where they're coming from um, I mean they have their ideas and we have ours and let's face it in many many ways the ideas are very different there's common ground but there's also differences hmm. so I was actually very impressed that um, the, the Baptist Church um, w- would have a speaker such as myself and a variety of others through the London College of Spirituality, which is putting yeah. on the event. And I think, I think we'll see, I hope anyway, that we'll see this kind of thing becoming more prevalent um, because uh, people are, I think, uh, I don't have any statistics of this, but I just notice in my own life that people do seem to become, be becoming... Uh, more open-minded and you know even just a few years ago if I said some of my beliefs even to someone within the New Age movement they might think I was a nutter but now maybe they still do but if they do they're they're polite enough not to say so but I think that it is the case that they that people are just thinking well I haven't got the answers so who am I to condemn this as nuts? Mm. But I think there's a lot of things going on at the moment, and um, it's probably what you're going to talk about in your talk, I don't know, but there seems to be a lot more UFO sightings now that are just, they're in your face. You know, newspapers are reporting them now with slightly less um, sarcasm. Um, yeah. You know, the, the MOD released their files on that. And recently, we've had some extraordinary things happen. You know, in Norway, we had this unusual spiral um, yes, I read that yeah. was a Russian rocket or something. I haven't well, studied it, so yeah. I can't comment with authority. But <laughs> what, what do you think it is? I mean, to be honest, I've, I, I'm not an authority on Russian rockets, but, <laughs> um, you know, if a rocket went out, went out of control, you'd expect it to be kind of just looping around in the air crazily and the, the, the smoke to be kind of burying off in all different directions. But this is like a perfect spiral, almost like a crop Ooh. circle in the sky. Oh. Um, you know, like common sense says it can't be a rocket. And to be honest, a lot of people are coming forward now, um, even some scientists saying there's no way a rocket. And oh, really? It, and there's, there's, there's kind of rumours, certainly in the kind of conspiracy underground movement, that it was either a blue beam type of thing, or it was... Um, oh, what, sorry? A blue beam, Project Blue Beam. I don't know. Um, it's, there's a lot of conspiracy around, like, the secret governments using technology, um, using HARP, or a bloom beam technology to create holograms in the atmosphere. Some people say it's that. Other people are saying that it's um, advanced extraterrestrials projecting something, um, maybe to make it obvious that they're there. Because at the same time, we had this spiral in Norway, and then it transpires that um, about a week later, some extraordinary UFO footage appeared in Moscow, um, in Moscow of a, yeah, a over pyramid. the Kremlin. I yeah, hope. and allegedly it happened the same day as this spiral over Norway. Oh. So there's some really interesting stuff coming on. You know, it is. It's frustrating. I find that. I mean, however interesting, however convincing these things are, you know, one can never be really certain. No, that's right. About it, unless you're there. Well, even then you could wonder, couldn't you? I think there are people who have seen UFOs. I've actually come across such people who've seen them and haven't even believed their own eyes um, for many years. Sometimes people change. Um, 
often as people get older, they you know start reviewing their lives and looking at things that have really made an impact on them. And you do sometimes find that people, you know, even close to their deathbeds, reveal some remarkable encounter that they've had uh, with a UFO. But it doesn't mean just because someone sees a UFO, an extra, even if they they're sure, or even if they should be sure through common sense that it is an extraterrestrial spacecraft, it doesn't mean to say they're going to accept it into their lives at that time necessarily it might take many years before they can admit to themselves what they've seen. Hmm. And personally, uh, I've never seen one at all. So how do you, how do you work with this? Because I think you, I read on your uh, bio that you cooperate with advanced extraterrestrial intelligences. Yeah, that's quite a claim to make, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I thought twice of that before writing that one. Uh, but it is true. Um, you know, bizarre though it sounds, I mean, it, it is true that, and I don't just mean me, I mean every single person in the Ethereum society uh, does this. This is one of the amazing things about this organization. Um, we uh, send, one of our major functions is sending out light, acting as channels for light. Uh, we chant mantras, we say certain prayers in a certain way. Um, to invoke and, and also do visualizations to invoke energy uh, into us and send it out through us um, as, as, as beams of scintillating white light. Uh, this process not only helps us to advance just by virtue of the light flowing through us, but goes out to the world to help um, wherever it's needed. Um, if there's uh, uh, some kind of a crisis situation going on, um, such as you know imminent warfare or a famine or whatever, you know something even more, even more of a crisis than normal, because we have crises all the time on this earth, we will um, send out power by uh, through our hearts and minds to this region, to this situation, to try and bring about the best possible results. Now, this is something that can be done without, you know, without even, you know, you don't have to even believe in extraterrestrials to do that. But there are differences between the way we do it and the way um, other very good people, perhaps better people than us, might do it in another organization. And that is that we, for example, because there are so many ways, uh, we uh, invoke this light, this uh, spiritual energy, and direct it, again, through visualization, through the power of our hearts and minds, into a spiritual energy battery. This is a, 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 something we do generally on a weekly basis uh, in a mission called Operation Prayer Power. And this was devised by Dr. King in the 1970s in conjunction with extraterrestrial intelligences. Now, this spiritual energy battery contains certain special materials, earth materials, but it's very carefully made, this battery. And uh, the, it's made in such a way that it can store prayer energy, spiritual energy. And our people, our members, and even non-members, because this is something that's also open to non-members, of the organization, come along, have a little bit of training, doesn't take long. The important thing is that your heart and mind are with the program, so to speak, rather than, you know, whether you've got your membership 
uh, form filled in or not. And then you, 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 you take part by chanting the mantra uh, or saying the prayers and visualize the energy going into the battery. This energy uh, is of quite a high quality by Earth standards because people practice. They really try hard to concentrate, get themselves in the right frame of mind. It's not just done on a sort of ad hoc basis. Oh, yes, I think I'll send some energy to the battery now. It's a, a quite a formal, ritualistic activity that we take very, very seriously because it can do so much good. When the energy is in the battery, it can be released through special apparatus called a spiritual energy radiator and sent out by extraterrestrial beings to wherever it's needed. So that's the energies invoked by us goes into the battery, stored in the battery, hundreds of hours of prayer energy, because we, we measure it in hours. Uh, then the battery is released or partially released through the spiritual energy radiator and the energy is then manipulated by extraterrestrial beings to bring about the best possible result given the energy that they're being provided with by us. So if you think of, uh, say for example, there's a peace talk going on to stop a war. Mm. Rather than us trying to gather together thousands of people, which is a very difficult thing to do, to all pray at the same time, to coincide with the peace talks, to inspire the people involved, what we, what we have is the, the mechanism whereby this prayer energy can be released, hundreds of hours can be released fairly easily in a matter of a, you know, a very short period of time. So it's a very concentrated burst of light, as it were, being sent to where it's needed. So did you do anything for this um, similar for the Copenhagen? We, we did, actually. We did something slightly different um, to that. We, uh, we used the spiritual energy radiator um, to... Um, act uh, as a channel for energy, not that we had invoked and put into the battery, but energy from um, an extraterrestrial source uh, in a mission called Operation Space Power 2, which is where there is a certain supply of very high-quality spiritual energy. Um, I'm not sure exactly where it is, but it's somewhere outside of this Earth, our machine can be turned on to act as a channel for that energy and go out to where um, certain uh, to where it is deemed to be most useful. Yeah, is it, is, have you heard of the Masahari effect, where they have the transcendental meditation? Of, uh, there's, a, there's a teacher called Masahari, something like I've that. I've not heard of that teacher. And, and they had they had seven thousand meditators, oh. all with an intention. Um, to bring down the crime rate, and they just sent out loving thoughts. But seven thousand people together. Did it work? Apparently, the crime rate came down um, massively. Something like seventy odd percent. They they recorded the crime rate oh. to come down in Detroit, and I think it was Detroit and other places. But this is obviously using a lot of people together. Yeah. Well, if that's true, then that's great news. And if you know, if the more people do things like that, the better. 
Um, but what is unique about what we do is that it is in conjunction with extraterrestrial intelligences. Um, so um, it has a, a, an enhanced, not only is it sending out spiritual power, but it also has an enhanced karmic power uh, in that um, simply by virtue of the fact that we are acknowledging their existence, that we are cooperating with them, that uh, is a demonstration of a greater awareness on the part of Earth people uh, of our place in the cosmos. Yeah. And, and also, uh, when, when the energy is being sent out so that they can direct it, they're going to be able to direct it better than we can. So great though it is for people to gather together and send out power, and we do that ourselves in, in services as well, when the energy is being directly manipulated by extraterrestrial beings, you can guarantee that you're going to get an absolutely first-rate job. Whereas when we do it, wonderful though that is, it's, uh, we are not able to target situations on our own with quite the same level of precision does that make sense it does make sense yeah um i mean and just a question i want to ask you on, on this as well because there is a polarity element to what we do and obviously um you know like you you guys are doing like a service to others um and you're very much on that on that you are on the loving kind of positive vibration but you know, I get the impression from what I've researched that there are negative ETs as there are negative human beings. You know, yeah, unfortunately so. so yeah. Yes. So I how mean, how do you ensure that your energy is being used by the right group? You know, obviously you know the answer to that. I don't mean to uh, belittle or anything no, like that. No, that's a, f a fair question. Um, in short, I mean, sitting here now, I can't prove it to you, but. Um, this is the way the cosmic missions have been set up by Dr. King when he was physically alive on this plane. Uh, he had this contact. He made these arrangements with these extremely advanced extraterrestrial beings of a very high spiritual caliber. And um, there, were, you know, there, is, there is no question um, that they would use the energy uh, in the best possible way that they were allowed to do so by karmic law. Um, but I think what you're talking about is could other extraterrestrials in, come along and interfere? Or take the energy that you've given? I think, good, well, yeah. the, the bottom line is we, the, the extraterrestrials who do, you know, who, who we have the privilege of cooperating with are of a very high level. So it would take a very, very powerful evil force to be able to um, get one over on them, so to speak. Yeah. Um, there are evil extraterrestrial beings out there, um, and we believe that the reason why we're still here on this earth, allowed to breathe the air we breathe and lead our lives for better or worse, is because we are being protected by benevolent extraterrestrials uh, from potential threat. And this is actually a huge aspect of our teachings yeah. that I just don't think we have time to go into. 
but yeah, in a nutshell, it's certainly true that all extraterrestrials aren't good. No, um, I, I get the impression that um, good extraterrestrials or celestials or whatever you want to call them, mm. they will not break our free will. Okay, but the negative yeah. ones will. But it seems that they're they're, they're only allowed to go so far in breaking our free will. Because there, there does seem to be evidence that negatives have come in and broken our free will. In the same way that an individual could come and break my free will by coming and hitting me in the face or something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a very interesting point. It's certainly true that the uh, extraterrestrials who are helping us are very anxious. Oh, anxious is the wrong word. <laughs> are very conscientious, is probably also the wrong word, um, in... Uh, ensuring that they don't interfere with our natural development. They will help us as much as they can. For example, this energy that they manipulate does not change people's minds. It is a, a force of inspiration. It gives people the opportunity to manifest their highest aspirations. It's not like a kind of brainwashing energy. That would be a very different kind of magic. Um, this is a, a gentle thing that is an opportunity, is a spiritual opportunity. And that's the, really their whole approach, is to give us every opportunity they can to advance. Because you've got, you can take the whole not interfering thing too far as well. For example, our relationship with, like, with them is a little bit like parent-child relationship. A parent should not try and govern every single thing their child does, should not do everything for them, but should guide them and try and prevent them from hurting themselves. Uh, and that is, is pretty much what they're trying to do for us. Uh, they won't, they'll help us to learn, but they won't, as it were, do our homework for us. Because if a parent does the child's homework, the child learns nothing. Mm might be a short-term solution, but long-term, it doesn't help at all. No, I mean, that makes sense to me, in, in, you know, completely. Um, something else that intrigued me as well that was on your website um, was an interview you did on Kerrang Radio. Yeah. With um, where you an estimated uh, listenership, 1.4 million, and you correctly predicted an outcome of a nationwide visualisation experiment. And uh, I just wondered what that was all about. Yeah, that was quite a fun evening, actually. Um, it was uh, it was particularly fun for me because I I got to be the skeptic, okay, um, yeah. which is quite an unusual thing <laughs> for someone in my line of work. Yeah. Um, but they were saying, I think it was probably rather tongue in cheek, to be honest. In fact, I'm quite sure it was tongue in cheek. They were trying to um, the presenter and the producer were trying to get everyone to visualise a light appearing at a certain time above the studio uh, to prove. Uh, the power of visualization and uh, it was quite obviously not going to happen uh, strangely enough though the time that they picked was the time when uh, we believe that an extraterrestrial spacecraft from Mars was coming into orbit of Earth uh, uh, to start what we call a spiritual push and there are four spiritual pushes a year a spiritual push is when a, a spacecraft called Satellite Number 3 is in orbit of Earth for roughly a month uh, and uh, 
during that time, everyone engaged in selfless activity uh, will um, have their, their actions will be potentized from a karmic point of view by a factor of 3,000. So if you have, for example, someone who unselfishly helps an old lady to cross the road, the karmic power of that act will be 3,000 times more than outside of these periods. It doesn't mean to say that 3,000 old ladies will be helped across the road. Mm. It doesn't mean to say that you'll fly across the road with the old lady or anything like that. It's about the karmic power of the, of the act. And this is something that's, that's quite deep, but very important. The karma of the world, I'm sure most of your listeners know about karma, the karma of the world is pretty poor. And basically, the law of karma is, of course, as you sow, so shall you reap. Action and reaction are opposite and equal. What goes around comes around. And because of our lifestyle on this planet, our karma is not good as a whole, as a race of terrestrial beings. During this time, uh, when the third satellite is in orbit of Earth, we have the opportunity, more than at other times, of helping to correct the karmic balance does that make sense to you so basically the, the you know rather than uh you know like it's like exponential so if you do something good then the kind of karmic rewards are just far greater than any other time is that what you're saying it's... yes i i wouldn't you i wouldn't probably use the word reward and it won't be on an individual basis as such hmm. you know you, you won't you know if you give a pound to charity during one of these periods it doesn't mean to say the next no. day you're going to receive three thousand pounds in the post it's not like that it's a case that the karma of the whole world will improve more than at other times because there's, there's a lot of spiritual philosophy that talks about uh, as as we head towards 2012 that people need to clear their karma yeah I, I don't i mean you know people use different words and that's fine but it's not a word that i would use clear your karma karma is a an often a much maligned word people think of it as a bad thing um but karma it need not necessarily but in fact karma is never bad you might have some difficult karma, but all karma is essentially a good thing because karma is teaching you. So if you do something bad and something bad happens to you as a karmic result, it's not to punish you, it's to help you to learn. And if you do a great amount of good, it doesn't mean to say that your life is necessarily going to become much easier overnight. What it means is that you will be given the opportunity to do even more good, that you will learn those lessons whereby you can become an even more powerful force for good in the world. So if you're, say, a great humanitarian who goes off to Africa to help give medical care to um, people with dreadful diseases, um, it doesn't mean to say that you're never going to get a disease yourself karmically what it means is that you're going to get the experiences whereby you will learn what you need to learn to be in the future to be of even greater service and ultimately after lives and lives and lives through reincarnation 
of being of service, um, we, we will get to the point where we will go through the initiation of ascension, which is the end of the cycle of birth and rebirth upon this planet. Um, at that point, um, you are not uh, bound by karma in the way that we are bound by karma. You are a you are in you are completely in control of your karma. It's a bit like if you have a lot of money and you just use it for selfish ends, then the karmic result of that at some point is going to be great poverty. It might not be in this life, but it, it will come at some point. Um, if, however, uh, so thereby you are, you are as it were, uh, you're, not in, you're not taking control of your karma. You're just taking. You're just you. You're abusing your free will by not being of as much service as you could be. But if you have a lot of money, and yes, sure, you use money to look after yourself as much as you need to, but you're also very generous with that money, and you give a lot of money away to people who need it in the right way, then the karmic result of that is going to be more bounty coming into your own life and more opportunity to help people maybe on a higher level than the material level through money. So by making that sacrifice, by taking control of your life in a spiritual way, you, you gain control over your karmic pattern. Yeah. You don't have to go through uh, the limitation of um, great poverty in order to learn that lesson. Now, I'd just like to say one other thing, though. It doesn't mean to say that those people born to great wealth are good people, necessarily. And those people born in poverty are bad people who are being punished. It's not like that at all. There could be any number of reasons why somebody needed to experience a certain uh, difficult time in their lives, a certain bad start in life. You cannot be dogmatic about exactly, necessarily, what experience causes what results. Uh, you, you can say that, you know, as a general rule, it, it, generosity will lead to plenty in your own life. Um, but it's a dangerous thing. You, you, you get into all kinds of discrimination, negative discrimination and prejudice when you start believing that if someone is born with maybe a disability or in great poverty, that that's because they're a worse person than you are. This is not the case. It may be that they are not necessarily the case, I should say. It may be that they're actually a, a much more spiritual person than you are, but they've chosen to go through certain difficult lessons in that life that you haven't chosen to go through. So they might be advancing a lot more quickly than you. Does that make sense? It does, it does. I mean, there's many variables, isn't there, really? There are, there are. It's a very complicated matter. <laughs> I don't really feel I've done justice to it, to be honest, <laughs> because it's just such a huge field. And it's almost like for everything you say, you have to then kind of say the opposite as well. Because mm. um, it is true that as you give, so you receive. But it, it, at the same time, it doesn't mean to say that just because somebody has, seems to have it all on a plate that they're necessarily a spiritual, more spiritual person than someone who doesn't. Yeah, well, the, the key is the service to to others, isn't it? Is that you, ha you know, help others 
a bit of service to others, but also don't neglect yourself in in the process as well. No, we have. I mean, because you, you can't be of great service to others if you're if you yourself are starving. You're, you can't help those who are st- other people who are starving, can you? No, yeah. Because you're going to die. It, it, you know, it's, it's a simple thing. Whereas if you feed yourself well with, you know, not overeating, but you, you, you look after your health and your nutrition and your fitness and all that kind of thing, then you're in a much better position to be able to help others. Yeah. Well, another way to look at it is if you've got a family, um, you know, you wouldn't want to uh, harm yourself in any way by not eating because then you could die and then leave your family with no one to look after them. Well, yes, I mean, there's no point in it at all. We have a certain responsibility to our families and we also have a responsibility to the world as a whole. Um, I think this is something that that people can sometimes neglect. Uh, You you know, you might think, well, I'm looking after my family, so I'm doing my bit. And we should look after our families. There's no point, um, you know, we shouldn't let our families starve so we can go off and do something else. Yeah. But we can look after our families and also help other people as much as we possibly can. And this is the, the new age path, the path of karma yoga, which is all about orientating your life towards helping other people. And you may even find that there are some people who choose not to have a family in order to not have that personal responsibility to a limited number of people so that they can um, you know spread themselves you know more widely in helping you know the world as a whole yeah that's right yeah I agree um, just I mean just a few more questions there because we're sort of getting nearer to the end of the show there's something I, w- I just want to uh, pick up on um, this goes back to the kind of UFO thing as well and you, you mentioned that um, you said even if only a tiny percentage of UFOs are indeed extraterrestrial, surely, surely this um, has staggering implications. So, do you feel that a lot of the UFOs that are up there could be of Earth origin? I, yes. To answer your question literally, I feel that that is entirely possible. I think that um, people who uh, claim to have seen UFOs, I think many are uh, well-intentioned but mistaken in the sense that, you know, they might have seen a UFO in that it's unidentified, but mistaken in the sense that it is not an extraterrestrial spacecraft. Um, In fact, I came across a case the other day where somebody was convinced they'd seen an extraterrestrial spacecraft, and it turned out that it was almost certainly a Chinese lantern. They've become all the rage at the moment, haven't they? They have, and it's it's quite bad news, actually, (laughs) for UFO spotters, because... I haven't seen one myself yet. I've seen footage yeah, online of a Chinese lantern, and they do look, you know, they look pretty amazing. You can see why they're so popular. Yeah, um, I, I saw loads last um, New Year's Eve, and my jaw dropped to the floor. I was like, "Wow, a <laughs> UFO!" And then another one came. I like, "Oh my God, there's another one!" And then it disappeared. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's, that's exactly what this one did. It's just dematerialised. Oh no, it yeah. didn't. The flame went out. You know. <laughs> but you know, it only takes. Actually, I mean, I think there've been more than this, but it only would take one genuine sighting of an extraterrestrial spacecraft for extraterrestrial spacecraft to definitely exist. Mm. You only need to, you know, you only need to see one. If one of these cases is true, Mm. then that proves that extraterrestrials are visiting Earth. You only need one. Yes. It's one of these things where it's, 
you know, there might be a million fakes and a million mistakes, but none of those fakes or mistakes can disprove the one case that might be true. This staggering stuff on, on YouTube with, I mean, they had the Phoenix uh, lights and that was a huge triangular craft seen by thousands of people. Um, this was so big. I mean, they say it was like about five miles or, you know, across or whatever, but that can't be anything of, uh, for the origin. It can't be a plane. You know, unless it certainly got, doesn't sound like a plane. No, and then you go on. I think in Mexico they see um, like whole fleets of UFOs all going across the skies, like just hundreds of them all there. And it seems to be the normality. It seems normal there. They don't <laughs> not hung up on it like we are. Like oh, there was another UFO kind of thing. But it, it gets to the point, I think, where the you know the idea that a UFO is an extraterrestrial spacecraft becomes the most logical explanation. It always irritates me when people say, oh, well, don't you think there's a rational explanation? Like, well, yes, there is a rational explanation. The rational explanation is that this is an extraterrestrial spacecraft. And sometimes the reason, the, the, the stories that skeptics come up with as to what these things are, are far more preposterous than mm. the idea that it is uh, another, another planet's inhabitants visiting us. Yeah. No, it is crazy, actually. Um, I mean, just before we do end the show, I mean, do do you want to tell people what you'll be you'll be talking about at your um your your workshop in January? Yes, yeah, certainly. Well, I wouldn't call it a a, a workshop, okay? Because um, that's quite a difficult thing to do—a workshop on UFOs, um, <laughs> especially <laughs> so, a practical one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I actually, funnily enough, I was asked that. Uh, well, it was through a misprint in a program. I was down to do a workshop, a two-hour workshop on UFOs in Birmingham. <laughs> and I must admit that did um, that did flummox me a bit. <laughs> How to build your own spacecraft? <laughs> well, exactly. Yes, I can't unfortunately magic one down from the heavens. Um, but yeah, it'll be a, a talk, and um, I will talk um, more about um, Dr. King and his work, um, and what people can do to cooperate with extraterrestrials. Uh, I will touch upon. Um, UFOs in ancient texts, as I've done briefly in this interview, and um, it should be uh, hopefully quite a an, uh, well, quite an experience to talk. Let's put it like that. Whether you agree with it or not, I think I'll be saying things that most people probably won't have heard of before, and um, you know they can make up their own minds yeah. from there. So you'd be playing recordings of the channel yeah, messages as well. Yeah, um, that's going to be one of the highlights as far as I'm concerned. Um, there are We're very lucky, uh, or very privileged, I should say, in the Ethereum Society to have recordings of messages from extraterrestrial beings as given through Dr. King while he was in trance. And they, these messages came through his voice. So he was translating the thought impulses that he was receiving into English. So you can, you can, you know, it's not like, um, it's not like hearing the direct voice of an extraterrestrial being because it's coming through him. But because he was such a brilliant medium, the, uh, the purity of the message that comes through him is of uh, an extraordinarily high caliber because very often with mediums, even good mediums, you, you, you get much less than 100% accuracy. They might genuinely be in touch with whatever it is they think they're in touch with, but they're not going to get 
every single word. They're not going to get every single thought impulse correctly translated um, as a general rule. He was one of the very rare mediums who could do this. Um, so uh, he has uh, been the channel for uh, extraterrestrials from Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, um, Neptune, uh, and even other other parts of the galaxy as well. And listening to these things, even though they're only recordings, if you tune in to the spiritual vibrations of the sound and the message, it can be incredibly inspiring and really very moving indeed. Mm. Uh, you, you are listening to uh, the message of beings who are you know, tens of thousands, probably millions of years, are senior in terms of spiritual evolution. And hearing what they have to say to us is just absolutely fascinating. So if, how, do, do you have ch um, channelers in the Aetherius uh, Society now doing similar work to what Dr. King was doing? Not like he did, no. Um, there are certain uh, people in the organization who are mediumistic uh, and... Um, Richard Lawrence, who is Executive Secretary of the Ethereum Society for Europe, um, is uh, an excellent medium um, who was uh, taught much of what he knows by Dr. King, and he's written a, a brilliant book, which I was very uh, lucky to co-author with him, called God's Guides and Guardian Angels, which talks about a lot of his mediumistic experiences and his work with Dr. King, too, because uh, they worked very closely for many years. Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, and he would be the first to admit this, he is not anything like a medium of the caliber of Dr. King. He cannot enter somatic trance, and none of our members claim to be anything like Dr. King was, and none of our members claim to have mediumistic contact with extraterrestrial beings. Yeah. I just wondered if you'd had any contact from Dr. King now that he's passed on. No, um, cer certain people, um, particularly those close to him in his lifetime, say they feel that they felt his presence, um, but uh, no one has channeled him. And this is something that um, I don't think will happen uh, in my lifetime in the Ethereum Society. It would take, you see, that the thing is that my understanding of mediumship from what I've been told by people wiser and much more psychic than me is that you need to be of a similar, um, to be able to attain a similar state of consciousness to the state of consciousness of the intelligence that is communicating through you. So to, to act as a channel for a great master, you yourself have to be very spiritually advanced. You're not going to get an ordinary medium who leads an ordinary life able to channel Count St. Germain or the Master Jesus. In order to channel um, an intelligence of that spiritual caliber, you would have to be a pretty remarkable person yourself. And Dr. King was a remarkable person. He did all this yoga for a start. How many mediums have done eight, an average of eight hours yoga a day for a decade? Uh, I, I've never come across any. Uh, certainly not the kind of yoga that he was doing, which was um, 
entering very deep meditative states, which are very difficult to to obtain. Um, he he was, I wouldn't say, he was unique. I would I would say that yes, he was definitely unique. Uh, I, w- I don't use that word lightly. Um, and now that he is no longer physically present among us, he is. Um, you know, he is a great master in his own right. He was a great master when he was with us. Now he's no longer with us. He he is still a great master, probably an even greater master. And to be able to act as a channel for someone of his caliber, you would have to be a very remarkable person yourself. And none of us claim to be that advanced. Mm. So did you ever meet Dr. King yourself? I didn't, unfortunately. No, I was only... Uh, what was I, 16 when he passed away uh, and he was in very poor health towards the end of his life as well uh, and living in America at the time. So no, unfortunately, I did not have that uh, privilege. Um, But I I worked very closely with many people who who knew him very well indeed. Well, you're obviously carrying on the the torch for him anyway in in the work that you do. So... Um, well, this is what I've tried to yeah. make uh, my life about, um, is, yeah, is uh, trying to spread the light that um, that he gave us, or acted as a channel for. Yeah, okay. Oh, thank you. That's, uh, that's really interesting. Well, thank and, you, uh, Ian. It's you know, been a, an extremely open-minded interview. Yeah. I just oh. don't feel I've done justice to all the questions you've asked, because you've asked such good questions, <laughs> and it's so difficult to try and, you know, explain things of such importance um, and such depth. Well, I think you've done a good job in, you know, in the short time that we've had anyway. So. Thank you, thank you. Well, if anyone has any questions or feels that I've made a terrible mistake in what I said, please do get in touch with me, and I'm sure that Ian will give you the, the, the website um, yeah. from, from where you can link through to email me. Absolutely. We'll put all the contact details on there, and we'll put the, uh, a link on there to the event as well. Okay. Yeah. And if you're not able to come to the event, but you're still interested, you know, please do come along to the Ethereum Society. We have uh, branches and groups all over the country, all over the world, in fact. And um, you can come along, check us out, see what it's all about, and, and just make up your own mind. Okay. Is it Wayne London? Yeah, that's where our um, we have two headquarters, one yep. in Los Angeles and one in London. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much, Mark. Thank and, you. Uh, do have a lovely Christmas. Thank you, and you, Ian. Okay, bless.